Welcome to C-Suite Radio. What's up, everybody? It's another episode of The Brett Allen Show. And our guest today is the hilariously talented comedian and podcaster, Sarah Tolomachi. She is married to comedian Joe List, so I'm certain you have heard the name before. And uh, she's a writer, she's a podcaster. She's been featured on Comedy Central, as well as NBC's Last Comic Standing. In 2017, she appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And uh, she followed that up with another late night appearance, this time on The Late Late Show with James Corden. She's been on Comedy Central's Roast Battle, Gotham City Comedy Live, and she is the absolute best. She has a podcast called The Vag Podcast, and uh, if you haven't listened to it, you absolutely have to. Sarah is a pure treasure. She's hilarious. She's funny. She is super smart, and she is one of the best comedians on the market today. If you don't know anything about her, check her out. You will not regret it. Just Google Sarah Tolomachi, and you will be glad that you did. Thanks for listening and being a part of the show. More amazing episodes coming your way. Head over to brettallenshow.com and check out all of the latest episodes. Be sure to give us a listen and subscribe. Leave us a kind rating and review. It really does help. And uh, welcome into the show and enjoy our interview with the amazing Sarah Tolomachi. You're listening to The Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast. Have you subscribed to this show yet? I've tried bribes, I've tried gifts. You should. It's absolutely free. I even sent him some pet oxen. Now back to the show with your host, Brad Allen. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of The Brad Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. I feel like there's just what every time a comic comes on, we were kind of joking about this before we started recording. There's just so much to cover. And you guys do press all the time, especially podcasts like a lot of comics like to come on podcasts because it's a chance to just kind of not have to really talk about anything in particular, but talk about everything <laughs> that you yeah. do. If you know <laughs> what I'm saying, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it's it's great. So let's just kind of start with your most recent thing that I've seen. And I've been watching a lot of what you do. I've been a fan for a long time is the infamous roast battle that played back in January with Joe, your husband. Hilarious. I have to ask, I mean, what is it like to enter a roast battle? Number one and number two, to have to do it with your significant other on top of all of that. I've always been a huge fan of roasts, but I've never done them because they're so nerve wracking because sure. you, that is the first time you're doing those jokes and you can, I kind of stutter and I can stammer sometime if I don't have my thoughts collected or like have worked it out and you don't want to do that. That's like a sign of weakness and you can show no weakness in roast battling. Um, but uh, they Comedy Central came to us and I knew uh, so we were like, yeah, I mean, it's money. Let's do it. And it's good exposure and, you know, something to do. And so we were like, yeah. And honestly, uh, a lot of people, uh, I don't know, are like, how is that? Or is that bad for your relationship? It, 
that hasn't even come close to being a problem in our relationship whatsoever. We came in, we know, I think if you're both self-aware people, you, we already knew where our weaknesses were. And so we were comfortable enough to like, just joke about that. Like, so I gave Joe a whole bunch of stuff that I knew that people uh, would like it that he joked about and it's probably in their mindset and that I would feel absolutely comfortable about. And he was the same way. And so we also helped have wrote jokes together and we had friends help too. So it was a group effort. That's funny because I think the art of the roast is different, at least from my an outsider's perspective than just normal comedy writing jokes, because now you're writing this. Well, as a comedian, you're already kind of writing the line anyway on some things. But I think as a comic, you have a responsibility to speak the truth and and to be able to say things without worrying about cancel culture or anything else like that. And we can talk about that a little bit. But a roast is different. Is there a fine line between roasting somebody and getting a good joke out and, and, and borderline being mean, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, I do. And I, I do think it's like better to roast the ones you love. Cause then it's playful. Cause I've seen roast where either the people don't know each other or there is an actual disrespect between the two parties. And I think it gets weird for the audience. I think yes. there's stuff that has actually brought up that's per- too personal or something that they didn't sign up for. So it's bad. Uh, <laughs> like if another person like, you know, roast a person's significant other, and then that significant other didn't sign up for it. I think that gets kind of you, cause you form boundaries when you get together to write y'all's roast battle. Yes. And I will agree with you. I have watched some of the Comedy Central roast and depending on who who the focus is, I've been very uncomfortable watching some of the jokes being told. And, and I'm just an advocate of entertainment, right? Like I'm watching it. It's on TV. Oh, it's Charlie Sheen. It's whoever, whoever. And I'm just like, oh, how uncomfortable it must be for that person being on the stage having to hear all that, I think the one with Alec Baldwin where they took a jab in him and his daughter Ireland about the only time he calls when he's drunk, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that <laughs> to me, it is funny. <laughs> yes. But it's kind of like, you really have to have a thick skin, right? Yeah. I, I feel like most people that sign up for it should and know exactly where they stand in the world. It's, I think one that was kind of weird is when Ann Coulter did it and she was there just to promote her book. But man, I don't think she realized the dragging that she was going to get. And I think (laughs) she, I don't think she liked it where like where it's fun is when the person that's getting roasted, they are laughing with you. Yes. Yeah. Like if I came to see you here in the Bay area and I sat up front, I am signing up for and taking the chance that you might single me out as an audience member and say something to me because that's just what you do in crowd work. So I kind of expect that. And it's part of the experience, right? Although I don't like to set up front. I did set up front with Anthony Jeselnik and that was really bad. And uh, (laughs) it just happened to be my friend was getting married and I'm just telling this as an example. Yeah. And they were getting married and moving to Hawaii. So it was kind of a last hoorah. Unbeknownst, we wound up dressing similarly, just different colors. And they sat us in the front 
and I think it was a night to remember to say the least, but that's part of his persona to kind of be that way. And it was fun. Right. Yeah. So when you are writing jokes for things like that, what is kind of your approach to decide this is something that I'm going to talk about or something that I'm going to avoid uh, a topic that might be taboo or something like that. I mean, obviously for your significant other, your husband, you guys know each other, but if you were to just do a roast overall for Comedy Central or whatever, or roast battle again, what is your methodical approach to putting those jokes together and deciding this is something that I'm going to tackle in, in this set that I'm about to perform? I think I would definitely go for stuff that they're most self-aware of, or if they're not self-aware, uh, then it'd be kind of like lighthearted that wouldn't kind of uh, be uh, slandering to them. You know, like doing a family secret. I've seen people do talk about their wife's miscarriage and I'm like, holy shit. I don't think they expected (laughs) that. Yeah. That you're like, I don't know. That's not where I go, but like, there's so it's, I I think the boundaries are up to the two parties involved, but I I think sometimes also attacking female looks can be a dangerous place to be maybe girl on girl. But I think guy on girl might be a little harsh or you can maybe get up to one and that's all you get. But if you keep doing like all of them are like that, then you're I think the judges at least are going to like take points from that for at least unoriginality. Um, Like I think stuff like I've seen people talk about uh, roast somebody for having perpetual bad breath and that person didn't know that. And that's how they found out. And that's my like thing of like, okay, (laughs) that's not, it's just bad. I just feel really bad for that person. And it makes, it hurts my heart to see that. Um, so I, I like to just like roast people on stuff that they would most likely know about themselves or know how other people feel about them. Yes. That would be a horrible way to find out about a terrible (laughs) <laughs> sorry i don't know why i find that so funny like a oh, serious I did de- too, but it's a serious defect and like this is the first time i'm hearing about it and it's like really that is a problem um you yeah know, i would be so self-conscious it would make me nuts so you are obviously we've covered this already you're married to another comic and we have been in this insane lockdown for nine months or longer it seems what has been your time like as far as just kind of being at home and not really having the ability to tour? What has been keeping you, Sarah, occupied and your mind sharp as far as your comedy and just continuing to create? Well, um, I got on TikTok right away and then I found out my love for it and I love that platform. Um, it's really funny. And that's, so that's one way. And then I just pivoted to like, I was like, okay, you know, I can't go on stage. It's going to be hard to build an act, but you can always write jokes. So still tweeting. And then I was like, you know, I know my social media numbers are down and I always like doing sketches. And I was in a sketch program, uh, at, like at UCB where I put on shows quite a bit that I was like, why not? this is a really great opportunity to just like create little short vignettes or sketches within my apartment. And then, you know, uh, you could do stuff outdoors. I think there were safe ways to shoot without getting infected or, or like exposing or being contagious. 
So I just did that. I just worked on social media and I found, I found that to be just as satisfying as going up just as much. Cause you still get an instant satisfaction. You'll automatically know if something's working right away by how much engagement you get in the beginning. And so I, to me, that was just like, that fulfilled my need. So I just worked on that kind of stuff. Have you done any Zoom shows or done anything like that at all? Or have you just kind of been like, I'm good? Oh, no, I'll say yes to anything pretty much. I won't do IGTV <laughs> live shows because I find those horrifically awkward and pointless. <laughs> and they never run on time. There's been a few times where they're like, oh, uh, we ran late. We can't have you. So I was like, I don't, I just don't do them. And they never paid. So I just don't do IGTV stuff. Um, I will do zoom shows. That's also a really great way. You can still try out jokes. You can gauge if something's funny or not through a zoom. It won't be as satisfying as a live show, but it'll make you, even if you're bomb, you're like, well, at least I did something towards what I'm working for. Yes. Well, the nowhere comedy club, those guys have had a huge amount of success just doing live shows. And I've experienced a couple of them and then they are entertaining uh, to watch because I think everybody just wants that fix to be entertained since we can't go to comedy clubs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and then there, I've done a lot of outdoor shows. Okay. Um, and those have ended up being really great. Like the summer was great up until when it got really cold. Um, we're doing rooftop shows. And then I've in the winter months, I found a few places that have done outdoor shows. And I think I'm doing Royersford, Pennsylvania this Thursday, next Thursday. Yeah. Next Thursday or Wednesday. Um, and that's outdoor in a tent. And I don't feel unsafe with that. And those are just as good as club shows to me. Yeah. Because you have the audience in front of you and you're able to get that experience. I've heard the drive-in shows can be interesting because everybody's packed in a car. Have you done drive-in shows yet? That was the first show I did. Um, coming back from quarantine. I think that was back in April when things kind of warmed up again and Bella sure. Diner was doing it. And it was like a really cool experience, but it wasn't something that I was like, oh, I could do this. So I, I haven't gotten <laughs> asked to do another one. And I don't think I would unless I got paid really great money. <laughs> yes. I've heard kind of <laughs> that is so funny. I don't know why I'm laughing so much today. I think it's just because I'm. it's this time we're in right now is so insane and I just have to laugh yeah. at everything. Yeah, I've, I've heard kind of mixed reviews about doing the drive-in shows and uh, I've read, I know some people have done them and they love it, you know, and they hear like the first row of people laughing and clapping and then everyone's honking their horns and kind of doing this thing. And then the conversation came up well, what if they're if it's single person, you know, who decides to go to the drive-in by themselves and they're in their car, they're listening to you on the radio and they decide that they want to zone out. How are you supposed to know if they're not listening to you or doing something else instead of listening to your comedy? So I think, you know, it's 50-50, but a lot of people have described it as like sort of a methadone uh, to get the fix. Do you feel the same yeah. way? Yeah, it's not like the full feeling. Uh, I definitely didn't satisfy any needs, mainly of like, well, that was interesting. And then, yeah, because you can't read the room. I think it's like 
difficult. You can see people smiling and there'll be honks, but even like honks, you're like, that's all over my punchlines. <laughs> it's like, and da 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 ha ha. And yeah. It's like, what the okay. hell? Thank you. Um, <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah. I just never got my point out, but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. Well, I think it's just funny to hear all these different comics experiences. And uh, it's really informed me as someone who consumes that type of entertainment a lot. Like there's several clubs out here. And I think the last show I went to was like in January, Taylor Tomlinson up in San Jose. And then that was kind of rumors of something coming. And then like a month later, everything just completely shut down. And here we are, you know, 2021. And uh, yeah, so growing up, I want to switch gears here kind of and talk about when you were younger, was comedy something that you had a natural instinct or interest in? Or I know you take you took classes later on in college and things, sketch classes and things, but was comedy something that interested you early on or was it something that came to you later on in life? Um, no, I think I started wanting to do stand up when I was in high school. And then I knew even before that. So I just like started writing then, but I don't know how it was or what it, it just felt like all my house was and nonstop was either comedy specials, comedy programming, like movies or sketch shows. And we would listen to albums all the time. And then I think by the era that I was born and started forming memories like HBO and MTV started coming up that, and they had tons of stand-up. So that's all we ever watched. So I always was like fascinated with the, like the platform or whatever. Like, I just like hearing about people's perspectives and just like a good joke, um, which is, I just like to laugh and have a good time. But then the other thing too, is like, this sounds so depressing, but I think at a young age, I kind of realized where I stood of being like, oh, I'm not the girl that all the teachers fawn over out of physical attractiveness or uh, I'm not getting lead roles and stuff, you know, in the, like, the plays or anything like that. And I just felt like I got rewarded more with being like mischievous or sure. uh, saying outlandish, crazy things. So that's I don't how it kind of like started. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't find that to be depressing. I think that is kind of normal for people, comics, right? I mean, they, you know, there's this whole idea of comics being wounded and damaged and comedy is therapy. And I don't necessarily, at least from my perspective, find that to always be true. It might be. I don't know you any more than what we've talked about in this interview and what you've shared and what I've seen. So if whether it's you or anybody, I think that that was your gateway into comedy. And then you kind of worked your way from there. And then I remember seeing you on Last Comic Standing. Was that really sort of the big break for you as far as television exposure? Or were there other things that kind of happened before or after that? I don't know. I don't feel like you get big breaks anymore like that really? I think it's the a very gradual hopefully you just get a lot of little things that keep going and that your just like trajectory gets better and better but it'll take like 
10 years, I, I mean, it's rare for, I know there are comics that have a thing that really does break them. Like I think Sarah Cooper was like the rest of us and then having uh, TikTok and really figuring out something that resonated with people is great. And that's, she did that on her own. So I, for, and then also it's like, it, it's what you decide to do with those moments. And I felt like, I don't know, I probably was a, a pretty big alcoholic at the time that that happened, just like active. And I, I got that. And then I, shortly after I moved to New York and that credit faded. And then I never parlayed it into like, I never asked for anything. I never like, uh, went out and got like really made an active choice of like making things happen and only did stuff happen. I think when I, um, got sober and really was like hitting mics in New York, making myself, you know, friends and known to people. And then I think that it's really weird. I think something that broke me more than a TV was like, I did Caroline's March Madness. Okay. And that was an ability for me. I, you're performing the first round is 64 comics. And those are like 64 comics is a lot of comics to see you. And I think it's not even just 64. It's a lot of just comics that are hanging out there. This was when it was, I don't know if it's still a thing, but, and then I just gradually started moving up that I finally got into the final four. And I think that solidified me as a decent comic in the New York comedy scene. Cause I noticed shortly after that, I don't even know how I just got clubs sending me of asking me to send in avails. And then, um, I got asked to do more shows and that just allowed me to have uh, more comics see me, which I feel like it, those people are more important than like industry, I think. So the acceptance of your peers is far yeah. more better than like a network executive. For me, I know there's Well, I think it's probably true for everybody, I would imagine. Yeah, because I'm sure there's like lone wolves that knew how to like press forward and like get the thing that they wanted. But like generally every comic that I talk to, most comics get stuff mainly from their friends, from a suggestion for recommending them. It's never like you're never uh, hardly is anyone ever getting the golden ticket. No, I think that's very valid because you had other things that you did like Colbert and the late show and I've heard other comedians tell the story, like, for example, Adam Carolla, he was on The Tonight Show. And then, like, you know, his expectation was the next day the phone was going to be ringing off the hook and people were wanting to book him left and right. And that was the exact opposite of what happened. In fact, it sort of led him to stop doing comedy and do something else that he felt he was better at. So it's safe to say from what you're saying uh, and this is important for our listeners and, and and I think just content in general, you can't, you're only as good as your last thing, right? You can't just depend upon that to be what sets you apart from everybody else. Like you didn't get on roast battle because you were on last comic standing <laughs> or something no, like that. <laughs> those were like, that was like an, almost like a seven year gap. And that happens. There's some people that got like, uh, a decent credit. And then that's the only credit they have for yeah. seven years because they didn't, uh, you know, sh shake and I don't know, move forward with it. I don't know what term I was trying to use, but uh, shaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it is 
up to you to be like, yes, you know, and, and then you get to New York also, like no one gives a shit. No. Like there's so many other comics that have just as many great credits as you. And even if you do have great credits, like even for some of the clubs, they don't even care. Is the New York comedy scene far more difficult than the LA comedy scene you would think just on your experience? I have no idea. I've done both. I've done New York longer than I've done LA. And I would probably think they're just the same. Well, as in like breaking through. What about getting past at the comedy cellar versus getting past it? Like, <laughs> I just completely forgot of the name. The comedy the store? store. Yeah, the store. Like, obviously, getting past the cellar is probably just as difficult, right? Yeah, I would think so, too. I would think those two are about the same when it means uh, getting past. But they also do shows quite differently there. Like Comedy Store, from what I gather, does just one long show with a rolling audience where like the seller has three different shows going on and they're staggered at different times that uh, it seems like there's a lot more space at before pandemic um, to have more comics at the seller. Yeah, I went to the Comedy Store one time, like a couple years ago, and it was interesting because all three rooms had, like, murdering comics. It was insane, and you have to decide which one of the three that you want to go to because you can't do them all because it's all happening simultaneously. So yeah, it's like, do I go to the main room and see... I don't know, Bill Burr, or do I go to the belly room and see Dave Chappelle? Well, shit, that's a really hard decision to make. So yeah. And they're both playing at the same time and they don't care. I I I only asked that not to pigeonhole you or to lead the witness, so to speak, but I was just curious because you know, most people that I've talked to do the LA thing, you know, they do the store, they do the laugh factory, and they just kind of go all over the all over the place. And then New York, it's kind of like the comedy cellar is the place to be. And then there's, you know, other things, Boston Comedy Club and all of that that you can go perform at as well. So really, New York is primarily where you cut your teeth as far as what you were doing and things like that. Yeah, I mean, this is what this is my theory on New York and L.A. And this is just my theory, but I feel like you get good in New York and then you go, if you have people throwing money you you go to LA but I really do feel like you don't get better in LA I mean I know there are a few comics that get are good there and there are a ton of good comics but I feel like coming from New York if you went to LA I feel like you would just plateau in your skill set really what makes you think that I'm just curious I just feel like um there's more of an emphasis of how to make our our money is based on um, spot pay here. You can make pretty decent money from doing all the clubs here. Like you can make a living or live in New York city that way. I don't think you get paid well in, in LA comedy clubs. And so I feel like they end up focusing their energy on podcasting because they make a shit ton more money than we do. Than yeah. I mean, podcasters, (laughs) I would have to agree with that statement because if you take a look at it, and you take a comic, let's say Burt Kreischer, who has a pretty good career, but he doesn't consider himself to be a headliner necessarily, but he happened to break into podcasting early on before podcasting was cool. And then all of a sudden now, you know, he's pulling numbers like Joe Rogan and everybody else, you know what I'm saying? 
And I yeah. find it so interesting. Yeah. I just feel like, uh, there's so many avenues to go by that you don't, you, I feel like if you love stand up, keep doing it. But like, if you're feeling like you're just like not pushing through, just try a different medium, try sketch, try podcasting, try social media, be a TikTok thing. But you can, if you do well at stand up and those things pick up for you, then you can parlay that into a really nice stand up career. Yeah. I think, you know, it seemed, Back in the day, the idea was well, there was a couple different things. You know, you were either a comedian or a funny person who did movies, and then you would go out and tour in the clubs, like the Polly Shores and the Jamie Kennedys, and those guys who sort of, you know, did stand up, but then acting seemed to hit better for them. And now they've parlayed it into other things like podcasting and reality shows. And there's like a billion different networks now that you can get your content out on. So if you had it to do over again, would you do anything differently, Sarah, or would you just kind of kept everything the same? Um, I think I would have uh, worked on my YouTube channel a lot earlier because I had it set up like 10 years ago and I'm only been like consistently working on it in the last five. And I wish I was just like better at putting it together because I think that's a really great avenue for a lot of comics to make income that way, if you can, um, you know, make it work for you, I think I would have worked. And then I would have, um, gotten sober a lot earlier. I think I wasted a lot of time just farting around and stand up without having specific goals or not knowing where to, what to do. I, I was in Houston for 10 years, just, you know, thinking that going up a few times a week was enough. But like, once I moved to New York and you start seeing the people that you respect, you're like, oh, that is not the work ethic that I had. So I had to switch it up. <laughs> well, you're doing five or six sets a night sometimes, maybe depending yeah. on, and it's not always big clubs, but it might be a pizza joint or something that does comedy on a Saturday night. Like you're just yeah. getting in front of the mic. That's it. Yeah. I would just, and it, I, you know, you don't even need clubs to have success. There's so many great comics. I guess you would consider it like the Brooklyn scene that aren't past at the clubs that have are really funny and they, or they get booked to do like TV and stuff like that. So I'm just saying that there's just like so many avenues to go down. Like you don't have to pigeonhole yourself in one place. If you realize that it's not working for you. I love that. And I think that's something actionable that we can take. And I love to get those nuggets out of interviews with people like yourself is just when you're creating art and creating content, you know, you, you can get paralyzed by just overanalyzing too much and focusing on one thing. And that's just your one thing. And I think we all have that what we're good at, but then trying to explore other avenues, right. To capitalize on whatever it is that you're trying to do, whether it's to make it to television. And I have heard that before that New York, it's not just the big clubs. There's a hundred other places where people are playing that you wouldn't even think about. And they're like a lead on a sitcom or whatever the case might be. Has that ever been anything that has interested you as far as interested you? Um, I just slurred there going into, <laughs> um, going into television and film, or are you just completely happy doing comedy and your podcasts and creating sketch content? Oh, I mean, of course I'd love to, but like, I've had a few times where I've like, uh, 
in meetings, pitching stuff. And then also when you like hang out with other comics and see what they're doing, these like shows take years to get made. Even like getting to do five minutes on late night takes my first time. They're so want to make sure you do not mess up poorly that it just is like, it's such a long process just to get five minutes on uh, TV at 1130 at night that when it comes to like getting shows made, it takes like years for stuff. It's like, I, you know, I will be in meetings for a year and it'll be like a month. They're like, okay, let's reconvene next month. And then we do it. And then they're like, all right, what is this show really? And we're like, well, we just had this conversation last month that I find, <laughs> I find it hinders the creative process. And it's so frustrating that I've just decided like, I am, I would love that. And that would be a really great byproduct. But in the meantime, I am not depending on that because I will just get old and die before that happens, that I'd rather create something, a piece of art, if you want to call it or content, and I, I can create it and I can put it up whenever the hell I feel like it. And I can reach out to the people that like it right away and then hopefully build a fan base that way. But to wait around to have stuff happen, I, I I just find it so frustrating. And I I was like, you, I feel like it's just more satisfying to try to create it on your own terms. That's why I do a podcast because I get to talk to comics and celebrities and have these kinds of real and raw conversations. Uh, otherwise, you know, if I waited around to get a radio show or whatever, you know, I don't think that I would. I, it would probably never happen. So. Uh, and I don't know that I would want it to because I have the freedom to create the content that I want. Yeah. And you can't get canceled and nothing no. like we're out there trying to be like, you know, say the most like a uh, horrible things. Like that's not what I want, but it's just like you, it's, you're your own boss. Like you don't, I, you know, like everyone's always gets like upset with like Jimmy Fallon. They're like, Oh, that show's lame. And you're like, you understand that. Like, that guy has to sell burgers and yogurt at, you know what I mean? Like he has these sponsors that he has to like cater to. Like it's a different format. And you're like, I, I would find that soul crushing that you couldn't do what you wanted to do. But I mean, I guess the money is nice and that makes up for it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But the, the thing about him, it's funny that you mentioned that in the fact that uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, people give him a hard time. But then there's the pressure of, you know, I don't think he has the kind of power that Leno had when Leno was in charge. I think he has a lot more people telling him what to do, what not to do, not to mention the golden handcuffs to Lauren Michaels, who really, from what I understand, was kind of responsible for him getting that whole gig on top of Leno liking him. Yeah, I mean, you just you're kind of married to certain things. Like I can have you come on. I can have another comic come on, whatever. And we can talk about whatever the hell that we want to and have a fun conversation. And I might get an email complaining or a bad iTunes review, which has happened and I don't like it and it pisses me off. But I, you know, it's one person who is sitting behind a computer in their mom's basement who doesn't like the comic or the celebrity that's on the show, you know, computer warriors, I call them. Because it's like, yeah. whatever, you can't ruin me. <laughs> yeah. I'm really not anybody to ruin, to be honest. So, you know what I'm saying? It's it's a very interesting game to play. Yeah. 
And I, I mean, both sides sound really great, but just like for me right now, it's like, I'd rather, uh, you know, like when you're like, I want to make a sketch show and you're doing a meeting meetings for a year to try to figure it out. And then they're like, oh, we passed. So that full year you it's didn't gone. make a sketch yeah. and you could have just been putting this up on your own channel. And then you do it and it has success. And then people start emailing you going, oh, Sarah Tolomach. She does the yeah. sketch show. Would you be interested in, you know, selling that to us or licensing it out? And then you could either say no or yes, and then name your price <laughs> if somebody really yeah. wants to be a part of it. <laughs> or you get like people that really, really like it. And now they want to come see you in their city. And now you can yeah. do stand up as a living rather than just waiting for club owners to be like, I don't know, does she have a late night yet? You can just be like, I have a million followers on Instagram. I can just create my own show in any city that I know where my analytics are. Like, yeah. you don't need these gatekeepers anymore. Yeah, it's not the way entertainment is not what it used to be. It's just the network executives or whoever and every comic says this. You don't have to bow to the power of this person or that person anymore unless you're trying to do five minutes. And some people might want to go that way. But if somebody is like yourself, where you do your own thing, and sometimes you do things with your husband or you do things on your own, he has his career, you have your career, but you create content together, which I think is very cool because you do fun things like the roast and that sort of thing. Have you guys, not to make it about him, but have you guys ever considered touring together and that sort of thing? Or is it just kind of like you guys want to do your own separate thing? No, we, I would go do the road with him. Cause I'm not at a level, like I could headline, but I'm not at a level that people will come and see me at a club. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a draw. So I go with him and I work on my long sets and I feature for him and I have okay. no problems with that. I mean, that was part of my, one of my roast jokes is like, I've just been writing his coattails and that used to bother me, but knowing <laughs> that all of Hollywood is just based on nepotism and who, you know, I don't even give a shit anymore. Right. Who cares? I, I mean, know you're never getting it the right way. So you might as well just try to get there and then try to stay there. That's all I say. Well, I mean, honestly, like as a cop, as a, podcast host <laughs> you know i uh man i'm just all over today you know i i put a resume together to try and and get comics and people to come on talk about things that they might not normally discuss and see a part of you that they might not normally see and so it's the same thing it's like a it's a resume of sorts right i mean you could say yes you could say no so i asked that just because you know I didn't know if that was something that you guys had ever considered doing or would do, but I think it makes sense. And then you both get the exposure and get to have fun together and, and tour and, and tell jokes. Yeah. I mean, it makes it easier on the relationship. Um, uh, but I, I would be like, I was, I, I could do that for a while, uh, but I would definitely like to, as a goal of mine, be able to have do headline on my own and be a, a draw or at least get people to come. <laughs> I think that's very soon in your future. I, I really do because you're super talented and I, I love your comedy and just your approach to things and, and your sketches. As we wrap up, I do want to talk about your podcast 
which is hilarious, the vag. <laughs> and uh, what is that about? And what can people expect when they check it out? Um, it is not about anything. I, it's just two comics just talking about whatever's happening either in our lives or like the real world or even a, like such a small community is what's going on in the comedy world, like beefs and Twitter wars and joke stealing, we, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, because we know a lot of people that listen to us also listen to all the other podcasts. Uh, so they know that world quite a bit. Um, and we try to keep it funny and that's basically it, but it's just like two people it's, you know, on the lines of like, you know, how Joe Rogan's podcast kind of goes on. <laughs> Yeah, except like that the without the yeah. yeah, without it, we're not high. <laughs> um, but yeah, in that mindset of like we just start and then we go, and then it just goes drifts to other stuff, and we try to make it funny, and that's it. Yeah, I think those are the best podcasts, honestly, because I've had some of the greatest conversations. Uh, and I've had comics smoke while we're talking, and I whatever, but I can't do that because then I would just fall asleep. But yeah. I find <laughs> The conversation gets very interesting and uh, I have to steer the car in the other direction, uh, especially if I have a very limited amount of time with them. <laughs> so um, and then it's like, oh, we got to go because we're out yeah. of time because we talked about <laughs> why do cats, you know, lick their tails or something crazy. And yeah, it's just like yeah. this whole thing. And it's well, that was a fun conversation, but I have no idea what we just talked about. <laughs> so, yeah. And then it's like, ta-da, here you go. You know, this goes in the feed. <laughs> it's like, wow, you talked to Jamie Kennedy for 45 minutes about, you know, how bad Hollywood sucks. And it's like, well, that's the best that I could get. And that didn't happen with him, by the way. I'm not calling him out. He was a fun interview. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, I bet. he was hilarious. He's so funny and just very honest. But I digress. Well, I will let you get moving. I know you have a busy day, but if people want to find out about you, check out your comedy, your sketches, and when you can tour again, or if you're doing dates, Sarah, how can they do so? Um, well, I don't know when this comes out, but I'll be at Royersford, uh, January 27th, Souljoel's Tent. It's Royersford, Pennsylvania. And then um, just follow me on all the platforms, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. And those are the same. It's at Stolomash, S-T-O-L-L-E-M-A-C-H-E. Yes. And this will air by the weekend. So it's in time and people don't listen to it in six months and go, wow, I really wish I could have gone and seen <laughs> her. Uh, but it's too late. Anyway, Sarah, yeah. thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.